To start off, it would not be honest to say that 2021 will be remembered as the most peaceful and easy 365 days in world history. It has been a year of challenges and trials, a little better than 2020. And although we pray and hope for a much brighter and happier year to come, may predict that at least the early part of 2022 will be a repeat of the past year in terms of the economy, social and political discord, and most especially this current health crisis that we just can't seem to pull ourselves out of. It's a crisis that started with the virus with the number 19, and I'm not so sure if that number was to represent the year that it was foisted upon us or if, there, if it was meant to suggest that there were 18 before. But then came a variant called Delta, which kind of gave me the feeling that we were under attack by a special forces unit of the Army. And now we go into 2022 with Omicron or Eurocron or the Rathacron or whatever. <laughs> whatever, it sounds to me like something cooked up in a laboratory a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Truly, the people of God have, have been tested on many fronts. And as we greet the new year, many among the faithful are beginning to experience this growing sense of anxiety and frustration. Many feeling that prayers for relief are going unanswered are feeling tired, sorrowful, and discouraged. Believe me, friends, I feel it too. But it is to you, to the most faithful among the faithful, that this particular message is dedicated and directed. And I'm going to begin it with a reading from the book of James, chapter 1, verses 2 through 6, that read as, the, that read as follows. Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, and this is important, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. Now I'm going to call your attention to verse 2 of the passage, which says, Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Trials of many kinds. Well, that would be an accurate enough description of what the people of God have always faced, but seemingly in increased measure these last few years. Trials of many kinds. From conflicts between nations to Conflicts within nations, issues of economic recession, 
social unrest and political infighting dominate our nation's headlines. Drug and alcohol addiction are exploding the populations in our jails, in our medical and psychiatric institutions, and in our cemeteries. Gun violence transforms city streets into scenes from a Wild West movie. And another school shooting is reported, sending the debate over gun control to ever-deepening levels of hostility between those who are for it and those who are against it. The issue of global warming is preached as a sign of Armageddon by one group and mocked as a hoax by another. In the Midwest, a tornado strikes, leveling entire towns, taking scores of lives, and leaving scores more missing and unaccounted for. And farther west, wildfires rage, killing residents, destroying homes, and decimating millions of acres of forest land. And as if all that were not enough, the World Health Organization has reported a recent rise in hospitalizations nationwide, nationwide from a pandemic that has already held the whole world in its grip for two years and counting, a health crisis that has claimed roughly 900,000 American lives and that many health officials agree could have been contained and controlled from the outset, if only, if only. Trials of many kinds. We can certainly call the state of our present world and the challenges faced by the people of God trials of many kinds. The chaos and disorder enveloping our nation is great and growing. Grim experiences and sad ordeals of escalating intensity and devastating impact find us collectively and individually. Spirits of anger, frustration, and fear come out of the shadows and hover above us like menacing black clouds, overshadowing our daily activities, our work, our play, our lives. These are the times that try men's souls. Those words were spoken by American revolutionary Thomas Paine in 1776. And while that great American was speaking with regard to our nation's struggle against the tyranny of King George, his words may well apply to the current struggle of the people of God who are engaged in a, a war against the tyranny of a more internal and eternal adversary, a struggle not against flesh and blood, as the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians, but against evil forces in the spiritual realms. We struggle against an enemy that is not after our finances or our freedoms or even our families, but after our faith. We wrestle with a foe that relentlessly attacks us on all fronts, our boardrooms, our courtrooms, our classrooms, and our bedrooms, seeking to gain the final victory, not just over our living, but over our very believing. 
And with that said, my friends, as we step out of the old year and into the new, I'm going to try to speak for a few minutes words of hope and encouragement to the people of God from this text, which I've titled, Don't Stop Believing. Now, in case some of you are in, in the room have been counting, that was the fourth time I used the term people of God since I started this piece. And it might suggest to some that this message was written primarily, if not exclusively, for those who share my faith, my Christian faith. And, well, yeah, it was. This message of encouragement and hope was inspired with those who worship the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as the Lord of all creation, specifically in mind. But some might be thinking, well, wait a minute, Pastor, those terrible, awful things you mentioned, global warming and natural disasters, social discord, addiction and violent crime, all those things are not exclusively Christian issues. They're world issues, problems that all humanity struggles with, whether they follow Christ or not. We're all paying more for the goods and services we need to live day to day. We're all impacted by addiction and violence in our communities. There's not one among us with school-aged children whose heart doesn't stop, at least for an instant, when the news reports an active shooter situation suddenly occurring at one of our kids' places of learning. We all wrestle with the fear of sickness and death invading our homes and breaking our family circles. The pandemic haunts us all, Pastor. Disease doesn't care how we worship God. Disease doesn't care if we worship God. These are times when fear, confusion, and frustration are the constant companions of all people, Pastor, not just Christians. We're all feeling scared, tired, and desperate, and we all could use words of reassurance, encouragement, and hope. So why would you deliver such an obviously exclusive message? Why preach hope only to people who espouse God as the Father, Jesus as his Son, and his Holy Spirit as his heavenly emissary? Well, my best answer to that question, my friends, will be found in the verse, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, that that verse from the book of James that we read at the beginning. Consider it pure joy. You see, upon the ears of those who do not share my Christian faith, words like consider it pure joy would fall as utter foolishness. To those who have not accepted God's word as truth or who have not confessed his son as Lord, being told to consider their trials and ordeals in the world pure joy would have to be the most unrealistic, most ridiculous-sounding, silliest command they ever heard. But sadly, even among the faithful, there are many who are finding it more and more difficult to endure the evil one's unrelenting attacks upon our homes and families, their nation and their world, while holding fast to the notion that it must all be considered joy. Pure joy. The world is beset by hostility and hate. Division and disorder rages around us 
in an unrelenting storm of transgression and wickedness. Injustice hides within the law, and the law pardons injustice. Levels of poverty, hunger, and homelessness rise in our wealthiest societies. Evil hovers above us like a fearsome shadow, mocking our prayers for the light of the world to shine through, disperse the darkness, and bathe the world in the peace and glory of righteousness. And it's all taking place in the midst of a pandemic that simply refuses to go away. The world teeters on the edge of despair with the faith of the faithful stretched to the point of breaking. Even the most steadfast among God's people feel the fabric of their belief fraying, stressed and loosening at the seams. And for reasons I will reveal shortly, it is to you most of all, to you the most faithful among the faithful, that I direct this message of hope. It is to you, the devoted followers and believers in Christ, during this time of your testing, that I issue my urgent, heartfelt cry that you hold fast to your faith. Let me read this verse to you from the book of Luke, chapter 8, verse 13, where Jesus said, Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word of God with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe it for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. In that verse, Jesus is explaining a parable he told his disciples about the different conditions in which his word is received and is either kept and nurtured or abandoned. His parable included his so-called followers who were firm enough in their faith until the ground got a little rocky and the going got a little rough. And to put it in Jesus' words, they fell away. To put it in my words, they stopped believing. So during this, per this time of your testing, it is my prayer that during this time that try men's souls, that you do not fall away, that you don't stop believing. The Bible, you know, in addition to being the most beautiful and brilliant literary work ever conceived, the Bible is the most repetitious in its content. A single point made in one passage is often repeated word for word in another. And certain verses read in the Old Testament are reiterated in the New Testament to stress their importance and embed their value in the reader's memory. The book of John alone uses the verb to believe 98 times. Clearly, the apostle is making a point in his gospel message that he does not want his readers to miss or forget and that point is simply believe. Keep believing. Don't stop believing. John repeatedly stresses that point. You see, because we often need to be reminded. And that is the purpose of this message I'm delivering to you today. Not to reveal to you anything that you don't already know, but to call you to a renewed commitment to that which you do know. 
Sometimes you just need to be reminded to occasionally, well, maybe regularly, have the wisdom of the Lord, which has already been imparted to you, stirred and stimulated inside you. Sometimes when the day-to-day challenges get to be a little heavy, when the pace set for us to maintain has suddenly been accelerated, sometimes when two new problems pop up for us when we barely had enough time to settle the one before or if we were unable to settle the one before, sometimes when we're feeling just a little bit outnumbered, just a little bit outdistanced, just a little bit outdone. Sometimes, most especially when our prayers for relief and peace seem to go unanswered, we feel the sting of anxiety, fear, and despair just a little more intensely than we want to confess. Doubt nags at us, and doubt, when it's with us long enough, becomes unbelief. Throughout his ministry, Jesus continuously emphasized the importance of relentless faith and steadfast belief to his followers. He warned them that the time of their testing of of their faith would surely come, and he admonished them that their deliverance from evil would not be in the miraculous works of his hands, but in their single-minded refusal to abandon their faith and stop believing He sought, commanded, and required his disciples trust in him, not because he performed works and wonders for them, but because he taught them the truth and because he demonstrated his love for them. You see, feeding 5,000 plus people with two fish and five loaves is an impressive work to be sure, but it was a work that would only sustain the body for a little while. But his love, on the other hand, is the far greater work, more important to life than bread alone, and it sustains the soul forever. His love is the work that gladly submitted him to a humiliating death on the cross for our salvation's sake. And speaking of works, listen to what Jesus told his disciples about works in the book of John, chapter 14, verse 12, where he says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Now, think about that for a minute. According to Jesus, from his own mouth, he says, that those who come after him will do even greater works than he. Now, I've read that verse countless times, and I meditated on it at length, and try as I might, I can't imagine how such a thing is even possible to do greater works than Jesus. But I'll tell you two things that I do know for, for sure. Since he said it, it must be true. And the works that he's referring to can only be accomplished by those who believe in him. Those who follow him faithfully. Those who put their trust in Jesus when reason and logic seem to demand otherwise. And it is to you, you stubborn believer, specifically, that God sends this particular message. You who have come so far 
in your faith, weathered many storms and suffered many losses, yet have maintained your trust in the Lord through all the hardships, the trying times, the trials of many kinds, as the apostle calls them, that life has thrown your way. But now, as trouble mounts upon trouble and problems pile up, and as the whole world is caught in this downward spiral of sin and sickness, apparently with no relief in sight, maybe you're starting to feel just a little pressed down, just a little weary. Maybe you're just a little tired, just a little, a little afraid and, and your faith just a little stretched. It is to you, believer, you against whom the evil one launches attack after vicious attack, aiming to afflict you with anxiety and disable you with doubt that these words of encouragement are, are dedicated. It is you whom I urge and implore. Hold fast to your trust in the Lord. Stay the course. Maintain your faith and don't stop believing. Don't stop believing because the greater works Jesus spoke of are his works. The power of the gospel demonstrated in the lives of you who refuse to lose trust in God and abandon the faith no matter what you're going through. The greater work is his glory, his kindness, his compassion, and his love shining like a beacon in the words and deeds of those who stubbornly represent him. It is through you, through your uncompromising faith, your abiding insistence on waiting on the Lord and your steadfast refusal to back away from your belief, no matter how great the test, temptation, or trial you face, that those greater works will be done. Don't stop believing. Jesus called you the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Your faith has the power to give flavor to a tasteless world, and your believing carries the potential to pierce the darkness of deceit and death with the truth of the gospel, which is the light of life. Remember that no matter what the enemy tosses at you, the spirit of the Lord is within you, and greater is he who is within you than he who is within the world. Remember that for all the tricks and all the taunts and all the treachery devised by the evil one to craft your downfall, no weapon, no weapon he forms against you will prosper. Let that truth alone mature your faith into the substance of the things that you hope for and the evidence of the blessings to come. And let it stir your believing, your weather-beaten, world-ravaged, time-tested, persistent, insistent believing to inspire those younger and newer to the faith than you and who may be a little unsteady in their own believing. Let your life experiences reflect the truth of Jesus' promise that nothing is impossible for those who believe and the apostles' assertion in Philippians 4.13 that I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. Don't stop believing. Remember that you serve a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances and, and bring that hope to those who have lost their hope and who have lost their way. 
Let your steadfast believing remind your fallen brethren of the gospel message of recovery and reconciliation. As Christ opened his arms to receive the cross, so must you open your arms to receive those who have fallen. Invite them back. Call them back. Urge them back. And above all, take them back. Remembering that all the while that no transgression or guilt of yours was ever enough to make Jesus reject you. Always and forever, he was willing to take you back. And this above all, let your faith provide an introduction to the Lord for the unbeliever. One who does not know Jesus in the remission of their sins. Be a living testimony to his goodness. A grateful recipient of and witness to his grace and mercy. Let his glory so ring in your words and so shine in your life that even the most doubtful and skeptical will be moved to ask how you can be so trusting in your most dire circumstance and remain so believing even when it doesn't seem to make sense to believe. And I'm going to offer you this illustration from the um, 16th chapter of Acts. Paul and Silas, during their missionary journey, are arrested, beaten mercilessly, and thrown in prison in Philippi for the unpardonable crime of preaching the gospel. Now, this so-called prison is actually a network of underground cells. It looked more like a mass grave than a prison, really. And actually, that's for 99% of the, um, those in prison there. That's what it was going to turn out to be because all you really have to do is fill it in with dirt. No windows, no light, and except for uh, torches lining the walls and no way out. It was a situation where it just didn't make sense to believe. To believe in deliverance or rescue. It was a situation of no hope. But no hope was not enough to make Paul and Silas abandon their faith. It was not enough to make them stop believing. And as the midnight hour approached, that subterranean jail rocked with the sounds of those two missionaries singing hymns of praise with such commitment and passion that the foundation of that underground prison shook. The cell doors flew open, and the shackles and the manacles fell from the wrists and the ankles of all the men locked inside that gruesome black place. Now, the guard down there is shocked and amazed at this incomprehensible turn of events. And more than that, he's terrified because with the doors open and the chains undone, he can't prevent the mass escape of the men that he assigned, assigned to keep confined. And this God knows what his superiors will have done to him if even one of his prisoners escapes. And so seeking to avoid that punishment, the God draws his sword and he prepares to take his own life, seeing that it's preferable to what his bosses are going to do to him. Can you imagine that? But from within the bowels of that dungeon come the voices of Paul and Silas urging the guard, do not kill yourself. No one has escaped. We're still here. 
We're here and we're praising the Lord. You see, to those two missionaries, their faith was far more precious to them than their freedom. And in verses 29 and 30 of that passage, that prison guard, who was an unbeliever until then, dropped to his knees before Paul and Silas, asking, what must I do to be saved? And that is my charge to you, believer. Let the unbeliever be so moved by your confidence and unshakable faith in the Lord, no matter what your circumstance, that like that prison guard, they will be compelled to ask, what must I do to be saved? And watch them when they are so amazed by your simple answer, believe. That is why this message is offered most especially to those who have been so committed to the gospel through these times of trials of many kinds and are beginning to feel your strength, the, the strength of your faith lessen even slightly. This prayer of encouragement and hope is for you most of all because the world needs you, my friends. The world needs you to remain strong and steadfast in your faith because, you see, I know that it is the gospel of Christ that will deliver us out of these times of economic upheaval, social discord, political confusion, and this persistent pandemic. I know that it is the gospel of Christ that will deliver us. And I am persuaded that it is through you, the most faithful among God's people, that his work of deliverance will be accomplished. And it is by your example that these trials of many kinds will not only be overcome, but they will be considered pure joy, as James wrote, because the people of God will be made all the greater for having endured them. Because of all the works of God's hand, you have to remember that we are his greatest work. We are the crown jewel of his creation. As he is the potter, we are the clay, formed and molded by his hands, finished and perfected in the furnace that is the world and the fire of human experience. Trial and adversity do not diminish us, my friends. They only make us stronger. The world needs your example of unflinching faith and stubborn believing to lead it through this darkness of sickness, sin, and death towards the marvelous light of Christ. During these stressful, difficult times, you might be the only proof of God's presence that some may witness. In a world growing more desperate for the truth that makes men free, you just might be the only evidence of that truth. You could be the only Bible that some people get to read. Jesus is the hope of the world, and the world needs to see that hope. Let them see it in you. You, who have been shown the way and who know the way, must now lead the way. And as we greet this new year, and whatever hardships or challenges it may bring, I implore you, true believer, to remember that you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Remember it. Walk in it. Live it. You've already come so far, but we've a ways to go yet. Stay the course. Fight the good fight. Finish the race. Keep the faith and don't stop believing.